Всем привет, друзья! Это Кристиан Басар и вот эпизод Historical Thoughts and Interpretations подкаста. Hello again, friends. This is Christian Basar with another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. I know it's been a while since I did another, uh, did the the last episode, but uh, you know, life goes on, and uh, so therefore, I get the the time I can to work on the podcast series. And uh, we are we are proceeding with the the series I was talking about previously, the uh, Rush History of Russian Cities series. But uh, also, in the meantime, I want to give an episode. This one's going to be a little bit different. So, as as you know from previous episodes, I've been to Russia twice. And uh, Russian history is kind of the, the focus of my area of study. And so, uh, I've been to Russia twice. And what I'm going to be doing in the Russian history, Russian city history series is uh, going to be looking at the history of the cities that I've been to. And, but first, I, I kind of thought I wanted to do an episode on my perceptions of Russia when I traveled there and what the experience was like and everything. So this one won't quite be a historical episode, but I figured this will be good to put it into, you know, when I'm talking about the cities I visited in later episodes, I figure it would be good to kind of have a, put it in the context of, you know, what it was like to travel there or to the country and various cities, kind of some of the key points of the cities and everything. So I just want to give a little bit about uh, perceptions, what I saw, some interactions as well, and uh, comment on those. Uh, so the two trips that I made were in 2016, spring of 2016, when I went to the Republic of Karelia, and in between I, I went also to St. Petersburg as well. And in the summer of 2018, I visited various various cities as well, and I spent about a month and a half there. And so I'll go over some of the very first impressions and the very initial thoughts of the cities I visited. So number one is St. Petersburg. This was the first Russian city I I visited in 2016. I, I landed there on the way to uh, the Republic of Karelia and back. And so uh, St. Petersburg, it's uh, uh, very cool for a Russian history nerd like myself. Uh, and it's also a very big tourist center in general. And uh, St. Petersburg, the reason why it's good for uh, the, has a historical importance is it used to be the capital of the Russian Empire before the communists took over in 1917 and then eventually moved the capital back to Moscow. And so uh, it's very interesting to look around. The buildings are very Many of the buildings are very old style. The city was, after all, founded in the early 1700s. So a lot of the buildings there have that 18th century uh, feel. And uh, and so there's a lot, of, a lot of historical buildings there. And the Hermitage Museum, where if you go into the state Hermitage Museum, you see a lot of, of course, interesting artifacts and collections and everything like that. But when you go into that... The Hermitage occupies the buildings of the Winter Palace, which is where the old Romanov dynasty um, had it, had its palaces. And and you, it's very interesting when you walk into the, one of the rooms of the Winter Palace and you see a sign that says, "This is where Red Guards, where communists came in and arrested the Provisional Government in a, 
in October 1917, according to the old style calendar. According to the newer style calendar, the Gregorian, it was in November. But it's very interesting just walking, suddenly walk, it's, it's a small room with a little table and you just go in there and then this plaque says, this is where it happened. And so it's, it's very interesting just walking, walking around St. Petersburg and seeing those. You also get to see certain things like signs on the street, old signs from the, on the street saying, watch out this, there could be bombardment or shrapnel from bombardment. And so this is, these signs were put up during the uh, siege of Leningrad, as the city was called during World War II. So the uh, Nazi forces had besieged the city and there was shelling. And so these signs were saying to people trapped within the city, watch out for bombardment. And so that was St. Petersburg. Very, very cool. Uh, and it's quite a beautiful city uh, in itself. There's a lot of the canals to walk around on. Uh, well, not in the canals, but across on bridges, of course. And, um, you know, there's uh, it's kind of a, a seaside city as well. So it's very, uh, very interesting there as well. Uh, Petrozavodsk is, uh, was the next city I went to. It's, it's a fairly sizable city, about, uh, 200,000 people, if I remember correctly. And it's the capital of the Republic of Karelia. And so Petrozavodsk, uh, one of its, uh, historical, to put it in its, its historical context, it was founded in the same year, uh, that, uh, St. Petersburg was as well. So the, the purpose of Petrozavodsk was... You know, Peter the Great needed uh, foundries for weapons, and so iron foundries. So these were formed uh, around Petrozavodsk, and uh, so it's been there ever since. And it happens to be next to Europe's second largest lake, the Onega, the Onega Lake. And so it's to kind of describe Petrozavodsk. One of the things that really comes to mind is its forests, rocks, and lakes in in the area. The Republic of Karelia reminds me a lot of of the Canadian Shield, which is kind of in eastern Canada and Ontario. Um, and Karelia, in general, had a kind of an interesting northern European feel. It's very close to the border with Finland, so you know this, you don't want to put too much into feels and ambiances and everything like that. But it had a very uh, northern European feel to it so which was <clears throat> which i thought was interesting it's quite a quite a nice little town actually there was still enough you could you could go to the movie you could uh, buy food and everything like that but you weren't too far from the from the countryside i remember being able to to walk fairly fairly you know take a little stroll down this road and then you're at a little bit outside the uh the city and you can go see the lake and kind of a more um you know, less urban setting, so it was, it was very nice that way. Uh, and Moscow was the third uh, city I visited when I, I first arrived there in 2018. And uh, one thing I could say about Moscow, it's huge. <laughs> so, well, Moscow, it is an old city. Um, it's about uh, 850 years old, and or 800, 870 years old, I should say. And it's, of course, the capital, so there's lots of people there. And there's just a lot to see there. Uh, Russia's landmark buildings, such as the Kremlin, are there. Red Square, St. Basil's Cathedral, Lenin's tomb or Lenin's uh, mausoleum, and there's a lot of other museums as as well. They also have a large uh, large Victory Park, which is really interesting for walking around in. So it's uh, so there, there's a lot to see in in Moscow as well. And of course, if you're into more, if you're not so much more into the history, there's a lot of uh, sports stadiums, there are uh, soccer teams there, hockey teams as well, and 
and also things like the Bolshoi Theater. And uh, so, so there's a lot to do there as well. Uh, I found that St. Petersburg, if you were interested in, in things to see, St. Petersburg was a little easier uh, to get to. I found that a lot of the uh, things that sightseers would go after in Moscow, they were a bit further apart. So, in, But in St. Petersburg, it just seemed a little, little smaller. Uh, so a little, a little easier to get to certain things. Or at least a little quicker. Uh, Kirov was another uh, city, and I visited there for a few days. It's uh, 12 hours east of Moscow by train, so it's it's a little bit out of the way. It's uh, smaller, of course, and it's, it has a bit more of a rural feel to it. And much like Petrozavodsk, uh, there was a lot of forest around, and, um, and I believe that forestry is a major industry in, in Kirov as well. And uh, so so there's that, so it's, a, you know, it has a, you know, uh, smaller city feel to it um, and and quite interesting it started out as a colony of um, great Novgorod in the medieval times and um, and it's and it's interesting with and in Kirov there's a there's kind of a distinct cultural icon of uh, whistle toys actually so in Russian they're called um, dimkovi or the sort of like uh, wind, you know, some dealing with the wind, and they're painted with vibrant circular patterns, like with flowers and a little bit of gold finish on them. They're they're really quite uh, quite interesting. I actually a friend of mine who uh, lives there gave me one, and if you, it's kind of hard to show it on a podcast, of course, the these uh, colors and everything like that. But um, you know, lots of, they're generally white and lots of orange on them, some green and blues. They're quite um, they're quite. Uh, nice looking. So there's there's kind of a culture around these. I remember seeing an apartment building that was painted with this kind of pattern. So these toys were were blown uh, uh, during a springtime festival. And they they kind of sound like this. I actually have my little uh, uh, Domovki, the Domovskaya Igrushka. So kind of my whistle toy here. And this is this is what it sounds like. Yeah, so that's one of the one of the things about uh, Kirov these these whistle toys, and uh, Penza was another city that I went to as well. Um, my first impression of Penza, I think I was a little unfair to Penza. Uh, it was very hot <laughs> when I was there in uh, in June of 2018. I, I wasn't there very long. I was more transiting from between uh, one place and another a city where. You know, the hotels were fairly expensive, and I found some cheaper options in, in Penza. So, originally, Penza was a fort city founded in the mid-17th century. And what I saw there, there were, there were, there were some nice things, despite the fact that it was, <laughs> it was very hot and I was a little uh, physically uncomfortable there. Um, there. There were some cool monuments, like military monuments, and uh, even with... Uh, like tanks and artillery guns out, outside and everything like that. So that was that was very cool. Um, and also there was uh, Pushkin Park. And I must I must admit that I'm not really uh, big on Russian literature. I just haven't really gotten into it yet. I'm more of a Russian history person, uh, not so much of a Russian literature person. But it, it was a nice little park just kind of showing uh, some of Pushkin's works and everything like this. And, and there was a, a quote that I learned. It was it was uh, learned there. It was very interesting. Where it was this little monument, and it just had like little words of wisdom around it. And one of them was, "One old friend is better than two new ones." So I thought you know little little tidbits like that were 
were pretty interesting. And and I'll certainly have to do more research uh, for this for when I'm preparing the uh, the podcast episodes on Penza. But I've heard that Penza was kind of a literary a center. A lot of authors were um, looked to Penza or 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 lived there, right? So uh, I'll have to do more research on that. But uh, certainly, if you're a Russian literature person, Penza is a is a very interesting place. So now uh, moving on here. So I went. The next city I went to was Suransk, and just like in Penza, I wasn't there for very long. I just went to Suransk for a for a match, a soccer match. It was World Cup between uh, Panama and Tunisia. But I still had a little bit of time to go look around and um, and check out some of the museums which were close to my hotel. So it it was really interesting. Uh, I checked out two museums about the Finno-Ugric uh, Mordovian people that lived in the in the area. Uh, Saransk is, of course, the capital of the Mordovian Republic within Russia. And uh, one of these museums was an outdoor museum with restored, like rebuilt, I would say built and brand new uh, houses. And they had artifacts in there such as looms, ovens, and other household items. And so it, I must warn you that I'm not an anthropologist. But it was interesting, like hearing some of the Mordovian music and some of the songs and the clothing... It was similar to similar to other cultures in the in the area, like Russian and so on. But I noticed as well that there was a it was a it sounded very similar to Ukrainian actually. And what the, what the roots of this, I'm I'm not quite sure. But uh, all the, the research that I've done so far on the Mordovian people is that they're they're uh, a Finnic uh, Finno-Ugric uh, people as well that were in uh, that uh, gradually moved to the Saransk and Mordovian area. But it, it was interesting hearing kind of a, seeing a kind of a Ukrainian vibe from it as well. I, I thought that was very interesting. And then uh, Tambov in the Tambovskaya Oblast, uh, Tambov Oblast. Uh, I thought Tambov was a very delightful uh, little city. It was um, it, a beautiful river cruise on the well, <laughs> cruise like a, a little boat ride uh, on the Tsana River. Um, it just had a really nice. Uh, feel in in Tambov, and that was um, most of the things you could see were churches and monasteries, and they were very close, fairly close together. Um, and this city, like Penza, it's about um, coming up to four hundred years old. It was founded again in the sixteen hundreds, and some of the big historical things there. It was it was kind of a center during the Russian Civil War. And um, also where there was a, a third faction. In the Russian Civil War, you have the Whites and the Reds and also the Greens, which was kind of a, a peasant movement. And uh, so that was that was happening in the Tambov area. And uh, Volgograd was the next place, and that place was... There's a lot in Volgograd. And of course, Volgograd, if you're a military history uh, uh, person or a student... Volgograd is the site of the Battle of Stalingrad. Stalingrad was the name of the city uh, at the time of World War II. And, of course, this is where the German army and Axis, Axis allies, such as Romanians and Hungarians, tried to push through and take the city, and it failed miserably. <laughs> so, uh, and it, so going around Volgograd, it was somehow... There's, I, and, th and it's certainly not unique to Volgograd. This is the same for any other place like this. It was somehow unreal to think that this was the site of a major battle in World War II. And now life goes on like 
in any other um, any other city. So, so that's the big thing. But there were some other things not directly related to the the battle as well. Uh, there was the Don and Volga Canal, which was right next to the largest statue of Lenin. So that was uh, that was very interesting to see as well. The the confluence between the Don and the Volga rivers. Uh, next up is Ufa in the the capital of the Bashkortostan Bashkortostan Republic. And Ufa actually reminds me a lot of Edmonton, the city of Edmonton in Western Canada. Similar sizes, similar population size, and they both have major rivers going through, and and they're both, you know, Edmonton and Besh, uh, both Alberta, where, which is uh, Edmonton's province, and Bashkortostan, which is Ufa's republic or local uh, regional government. They the oil industry is very important in both both places, right? So, and you know, both in Edmonton and Ufa, it doesn't take too long to get into the countryside and get out a little bit. So it's both of the city and even the river valleys looked kind of similar. So it was kind of, uh, I got a, a very familiar uh, vibe from, from Ufa. Um, but what's interesting about Ufa is there is a different feel slightly from other Russian cities that I've been to before. Um, so in Ufa, there was a, a steppe Muslim culture. So the dominant culture in the in the area, of of course, of course, uh, Russian, but there's also a significant uh, Bashkir um, Bashkir eth ethnic group uh, ethnic groupings as well. So this is, after all, the Republic of Bashkortostan is for the Bashkir people, and the Bashkir people are predominantly Muslim uh, and the Turkic culture uh, that was on. Uh, in that area, so there's more mosques in Ufa, and also the, and it's a significant center for uh, Muslim religious organization, as the central Muslim spiritual board for Russia and the European countries of the CIS or former Soviet Union is is there in in Ufa. So it's um, so it's a very Muslim Muslim place. And finally, there is Kazan. So. In many ways, it's similarly, it's culturally similar to to Ufa, but it seemed when I was there, it seemed much more populated and and busy. Uh, it's a much more of a touristy center than than Ufa. I think it's more widely known, um, and it's you know so there's the Kazan Kremlin, which is kind of become a it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and and it's very interesting being there because this is where Ivan the Terrible took over the Kazan Khanate in 1552. This is a big moment in Russian history where Muscovy was able to establish um, uh, control over that over that area and then be able to uh, consolidate control against um, a lot of the local Muslim powers that were in there. And there was lots to see in Kazan. Aside from the Kazan Kremlin, there was also uh, Sviesk Island, which... Uh, I with two friends were able to take with take a ferry there, and this island is a it's, it's a very neat little island with houses and historical landmarks. And this is the historical significance of it is Ivan the Terrible set up kind of a kind of an outpost before actually taking uh, taking Kazan. And otherwise, in Kazan there was a great variety of restaurants, including uh, Tatar food, which is mm, excellent, and. Actually, I plan to do an episode on uh, Russian foods, and I'll be talking about Tatar foods as well. So, uh, of course, the reason why I was there over the last, uh, over the summer of 2018, uh, was the World Cup of soccer. So, the World Cup, 
allow uh, Russia being the host, and Russia allowed uh, football or <laughs> football or soccer fans to to come without a visa. They had to buy a ticket and then apply for uh, a, a fan ID, apply for a ticket and get something called a fan ID. And so this was essentially your visa. You were able to come and go. Uh, you were able to c- go out and come back uh, over the course of the over the course of the tournament. So when I was in Russia, there were lots of tourists showing up. I met soccer fans from Bangladesh, uh, Costa Rica, and also a, a Panamanian family from Montreal in Saransk before before the game uh, between Panama and Tunisia. So that was that was very very interesting. I wasn't just seeing uh, Russians there, but also tourists from around the world. Uh, the games themselves were great. Uh, I got to see the first game I saw was Argentina versus Iceland, and as I mentioned before, Panama versus Tunisia a bit later. Uh, in the first game, I got to see Lionel Messi, and, uh, well, you know, he actually did, took a penalty shot against Iceland, and and it was blocked. So, but, you know, we can't we can't win them all. Uh, and the game ended up in a 1-1 tie. So it was, it was very cool. Got to do the Iceland fan uh, Viking clap, which the world got to see during the 2016 UEFA uh, Champions League competition. And so actually I was able to uh, get some video of that. Uh, so, so here's some, some audio from that. it was a great tournament in general. Uh, France ended up winning the final against Croatia, but it was a there were lots of really good games. I got to see some on um, television as well. I know that some of the like the Russian games against Spain and Croatia on television they were amazing, like some of the best uh, sport events that that I ever watched uh, on TV or attending in person. Um, there were what was interesting. There were fan zones in various cities where you could watch games on a on a huge screen. And in Saint Petersburg, I did this in uh, in, in Saint Petersburg and in Kazan. But in Saint Petersburg, it was near the Cathedral on Spilled Blood, which was a really interesting historical site in itself. And I'll be talking about that in the Saint Petersburg series later on. So so that was very good. Uh, what about language? Okay, so. Uh, Russia is not an English-speaking country uh, in general, but uh, you know, if you were in Moscow or Saint Petersburg, you could get by with English in in many situations. Like if you went to museums such as the uh, Hermitage and Political History Museum in Saint Petersburg, uh, there were both Russian and English uh, signs and for the exhibits and so on. Uh, in Moscow at uh, St. Basil's Cathedral and the Moscow State Historical Museum, same thing. Uh, if you didn't know Russian, you could you could go to the museum and, and appreciate uh, appreciate everything there. As you went further away from these touristy centers, for example, if you went to Tambov, though you'd almost never see English in a museum or hear it spoken on the street. Although yeah, in Tambov, I do remember seeing signs with um, like a sign going to see here's this 
this monument or this church, this building over here, and it would have it in Russian and in English. But generally, that wasn't the rule. If you went to, I went to the Tambov Regional Museum, and they only had Russian there. Um, also, another thing about languages, uh, going to the different Russian republics, uh, you could see different languages. And so a republic is a different type of regional government. And I'll be, I'm working on another episode to, uh, describing the differences between oblasts and republics and what that means and everything. And so, but in republics, you would have Russian and also a local language on official um, signs and government buildings. So in Bashkortostan, you came across Russian and Bashkir on signs. And Bashkir is a Turkic language. And, um, and so you'd see both Russian and Bashkir together. Uh, in Tatarstan, it was the same thing, but instead of Bashkir, it would be Russian and Tatar, which is similar to Bashkir. And both of both Tatir and uh, Tatar and Bashkir are uh, are similar to each other, being both Turkic languages, and they're also written in Cyrillic, a Cyrillic letter. So it looks like Russian, but there are some other alphabets, and it's pronounced completely differently. Uh, in Karelia, I did not the the Republic of Karelia. When I was in the capital of Petrozavodsk, I noticed some signs, like there was one I thought it was Finnish at first, but it's it was more likely to be uh, the Karelian languages, or Karelian language, which is a Finnic language. Um, and it was written in Latin letters. Uh, in the Republic of Karelia, Karelian, the Karelian language is recognized as a minority language. So I didn't see Karelian as much in Karelia as, I, as much as I saw Tatar in Tatarstan, for, for example. So going back to the history a little bit, uh, what about museums? Um, I found that Russian museums were, were fantastic. I, I really liked walking around them. Uh, of course, there were some museums that I, I wanted to see, but or would have liked to have seen, but I, I didn't get to uh, see. Uh, but the ones that I saw I found were well put together, and there were lots of artifacts to look at. And it went from everything, like, mostly I visited uh, regional museums. There was a, a dinosaur museum in, in Kirov. There was a local history museum both in Tambov and in Volgograd. And what I liked about the Volgograd Museum is it did have exhibits on, on the Battle of Stalingrad, which took place there in World War II, but also there was, there was looking to uh, history before that. Like, for example, in the rebellions in 18th century and, <clears throat> and, stuff, and things like that as well. And also even talking about local ecology, local climate, and everything like that. So I thought that was that was really good. Um, and of course, there was the there were the big ones, uh, the Hermitage uh, Museum in Saint Petersburg. I mentioned that one earlier. Where again, the building that holds the Hermitage is itself an historical building. It was an old palace. And going back to Volgograd, there was the Museum of the Battle of Stalingrad. And this was an amazing place for a military history nerd. I spent a few hours there. It took, a, it took me about two or three hours to go around and see everything. There were, uh, you kind of run around in a big circle, kind of starting at the background of the, of the war, kind of talking about uh, Soviet, Nazi, uh, Soviet and German relations before the war, and then, but then eventually Barbarossa and and uh, then eventually the Battle of Stalingrad. So it talked about this, and there were many artifacts. Uh, for example, the desk where General, uh, the German General von Paulus surrendered his army at the conclusion of the battle in early 43. So that was really interesting to see. 
And also there were various uh, weapons, of course, and uh, propaganda documents, banners. Um, and outside the museum, just out, just outside the building, you would also see um, uh, tanks and artillery weapons and everything like this, just like in the uh, Penza Museum as well. So that was that was very cool. And also, probably the big artifact that really stuck out to me was uh, Vasily Zaitsev's Mosin Legant rifle. So if you have watched the movie Enemy at the Gates, uh, so the movie, the 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 story, the the man that that story is based on, Vasily Zaitsev. Uh, he was the sniper in the Battle of Stalingrad, and that and that rifle was was there uh, in the museum. So that was that was very cool to see. Uh, another really good museum was the Museum of Political History in Saint Petersburg. So it talked about the Revolutionary Period, like kind of talking about the early, the late nineteenth century, the late Imperial Period, and it went up to the presidency of Vladimir Putin. Um, and so it it discussed difficult things, uh, such as the the famine of the 1930s, and which in Ukraine is called the Holodomor, and and it also the museum kind of stressed in certain exhibits the idea the the reality of suppression under the Soviet times that tarnished the dream of a Soviet utopia, right? So it, it talked about the repression of the of the Stalinist years and during the Cold War period of uh, of dissidents and all that. So it was it was very interesting to see. Uh, and then, of course, uh, St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow. And this is the one you've always seen. It symbolizes Russia in uh, Western journalism and in movies and everything. And this, muse this, cathe <laughs> museum. this cathedral was uh, built under Tsar Ivan the Terrible in commemoration of his conquest of Kazan in 1552. And I found that there was amazing art and color uh, in the cathedral. And what, what really... It, it was really it kind of had a really haunting feel it was kind of really interesting it was beautiful but it was it was kind of haunting it was kind of dark in there in in many of the uh in many of the places in there but but it, uh, beautiful at the same time all this iconography and paintings on the walls it was just really really fascinating really amazing and and it was surprising for me to know like i used to think of the that of saint basil's cathedral being one kind of church but it turned out that it's actually multiple churches in one building so very interesting um and outside the museums i was able to find myself in historical places about which i'd read over the years um so the, the kazan kremlin for example and 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 you go to the cathedral of kazan in saint petersburg which is along the main nevsky prospect street there was also the grave of the Napoleonic War General Mikhail Kutuzov. Um, so that was very interesting to see. I didn't know that. I just walked into the church building and I, I, I saw this grave right there. And and in Penza, there was a monument placed where the Pugachev Rebellion in Penza had started. So according to this monument, this it was placed where, it, at, where the house was, um, where the rebellion stemmed from so that was so things like that you would see that fairly often you come across something it's like oh oh wow this is this is interesting and victory parks and monuments to world war ii or the great patriotic war as it's called in russia and you could have a whole entire podcast episode or entire books on victory parks and there are victory parks in so many cities throughout Russia, probably almost every city, at least at least as far as I know, and certainly the ones I've been to had some kind of a memorial or park of some kind. 
And this was this was true even in cities like Penza or Tambov, uh, Kirov, and Ufa, which were well behind the front lines. So these the the fighting between the Nazis and the Soviet uh, armies didn't didn't happen in these cities, but there's still a, a victory park there. So, for example, near Ufa, on the outskirts, just outside of Ufa, there's a little town, there's a little village called Milovka. Uh, I'm not sure of the population there, but it's it's fairly small. Uh, there's some farmland there, some ranch land, uh, and everything like that. So there is, it's just a little, little place. And it had a monument with a machine, with a Soviet machine gun, and and it what looked like a list of names. I didn't go up very close to it, but looking at the photo and zooming in that I took of it, there's there's a list of names there. That That's what it looks like. And, and so even in this little, little town, right? And mind you, this, is, this happens everywhere. Uh, in Canada, we have multiple monuments to memorialize our veterans from World Wars I and II, even though those conflicts didn't really reach Canadian territory other than people from Canada went to fight there. Uh, to fight in those wars. For example, um, in Camrose, Alberta, and Gimli, Manitoba, these are smaller, smaller towns, um, they have memorials, memorials there. So that brings to mind, even if these wars didn't directly affect places like Milovka or Camrose, it was still, the wars were still very important for the local people to remember. Because the monuments there have, they're memorializing local people who served far away and and perhaps died, right? So, uh, but it's very interesting in, in Russia seeing that where there's a victory park and, and you know, there's a, there's a monument. There's an eternal flame there. There's uh, slogans and everything like this in cities where the, the fighting didn't actually happen. So in Volgograd, there's something very interesting as well. There's a monument to counterintelligence personnel and also the 10th NKVD division, which was involved in the Battle of Stalingrad. And of course, the NKVD is the was the Novorodny Commissariat Venutrenich Dil, or the People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs. And this was, of course, the Soviet secret police organization, which before... Uh, that was taken by the KGB. And the NKVD, of course, represents Soviet repression, imprisonments, persecution, and so on. But, and so there's a memorial to this to this division, which helped uh, fight the Battle of Stalingrad. But within a very short distance, like maybe 30 seconds walking away, maybe a minute, maybe a minute's walk away from this monument to the NKVD and uh, the NKVD officers, there's a monument with religious imagery. It crosses. There's an icon of Jesus and, and some saints there. And it honors the memory of the of the, the defenders of Stalingrad with a slogan, Vyachnaya Slava Zashitakam Otechestva, so, or eternal glory to the defenders of the fatherland. So it's, it's interesting be, because, because I mentioned this contradiction. So it's interesting it's a seeming contradiction because you have the NKVD, a symbol and organ of Soviet oppression, which, and the Soviet state did attack Christians and other religious believers. But then here, there's another monument uh, honoring the defenders of Stalingrad through a religious lens. So it's, it's very interesting. Um, so you have this monument um, memorializing part of the oppressive system, but also the oppressed, which were 
fighting in the same, which were both affected by the same war, by the bat, uh, by the Battle of Stalingrad. So it's very interesting seeing this a seeming contradiction. And actually, if you want to know more about it, I've, I've done some research into this too. So you can go back to episode eight of the of this podcast. Holy War, Memory of the Great Patriotic War in the Russian Orthodox Church. And I talk a little bit about that. And so it was very interesting seeing this uh, in the flesh, so to speak. Like seeing one monument to the NKVD and then another one which which had uh, Jesus, uh, was honoring Jesus, but also veterans of the war at the same time. So it was, it was very interesting to see that in person. Uh, so now let's get to other things as well, because... Because, of course, relations between Russia and the West have been strained for, for a long time, but especially since the Ukrainian crisis of 20, 2014. So, so people have thought of this as a, as a new Cold War, and, and certainly there are some, some parallels that you could understand why people would say that. And so the big question from, from people that I've gotten as a Westerner going to Russia, so... Often there's a thing about oh you'll be you'll be in danger you'll you know how are people going to react to you being a foreigner and things like that and so the, these were questions that people were having um, that were asking me before I went and they were always curious about well what was it like for you um, I found that generally my interactions were generally very welcoming uh, in 2018 of course it was a world sporting event. Um, so one could say that it was nicer because it was an international event, but you know, I also didn't just go to places where there were games and there were lots of tourists. I went to places that were more out of the way, unknown places that people in the West wouldn't probably never even heard of. Um, and, and even local Russians, like when they found out that I was going to Penza or Tambov, they'd be like, why? <laughs> What's so interesting about those places? Right? So, because they're, they're seen as small in, in Russia as well. And, and so I didn't just go to places where, you know, there was big touristy centers and all that. I, I, I wanted to see a lot. I wanted to see more than that. And, and so of course, politics did get, did get brought up every once in a while. I remember, uh, in 2016, there were souvenirs, such as even, <laughs> even things like, uh, coffee cups and things like that saying, uh, Krim Nash or Crimea's ours. Um, so this was just... I went there two years after Crimea was added to uh, Russia in 2014, right? So, and, and you know, there were images of the Russian president on shirts and everything. And, and, you know, you wouldn't see the same thing for Justin Trudeau or or uh, Barack Obama or Donald Trump in the USA or Canada. Like, I mean, you might in some cases for sure, but not certainly not as much. And these shirts and... And uh, everything emphasized Putin's importance to the to the country, right? It's kind of he's an example for us, and everything like this. So that's what a lot of these uh, pieces of clothing were were saying. And I remember uh, seeing this one T-shirt as well. I, I found it kind of amusing, actually, where it it said it said um, our our answer to American sanctions, and it showed uh, Putin and Obama wearing uh, martial arts uniforms, and Putin's giving a nice roundhouse kick to. Uh, or nice uh, sweeping kick to Obama and kicking him, kicking him down, or whatever. You know? <laughs> so I, I, it was interesting to to see that uh, on the street. And this was like a, a street level. Uh, this was at a at a kiosk, right? Um. 
And so, I mean, politics did come up in conversation as well. And Crimea was a very common topic. Like, I would, uh, people would ask me, like, or I would mention where I've been, and then I would be asked, like, well, have you been to Crimea or anything? And it was the same. Well, no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't been to uh, Crimea. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes they would talk about a general state of Russian-Western relations. Um, and... But I never really had a problem personally. Uh, they were all good conversations. No, didn't get yelled at or, you know, I was sometimes challenged, but not actually, uh, like, ne didn't feel like hostile reactions towards me or feel where it was like, oh, this is, this is getting dangerous here, you know. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't get that, didn't get that feeling there. Uh, what I noticed was that locals asked me, they were very curious about a Westerner's view of the country. They would often ask, like, well, what do you think about it? What, or well, what do you think about it here? Like, and one person um, who spoke English very well uh, was speaking to me and asking, so what do you, what do you think? And she was, she was just curious about hearing what a Westerner thought and just getting an impression. She was just, she was just curious. And, you know, I would have some people say that you know, please tell people back home that we are not evil people. That was an interesting thing that I noticed as well. They would say, you know, please don't, you know, there's a, there's a common word that uh, the Russian government has used, but I've, I've seen it um, in other, uh, in other contexts as well, this term of Russophobia, this fear of Russians. And uh, so this idea of Russophobia, people there were trying to tell me, it's like, you're a Westerner, please you know, let them know that we're, we're people and, you know, Russians are people too. Absolutely. So, uh, there, there was once uh, one time that was kind of funny. I, I talked about going to a place where, uh, I was talking about places I wanted to be. And one place I wanted to see was Siberia. And I talked about Alaska. I live, nah, I mean, far away from it, but not too terribly far. And, uh, somebody on the train said, I didn't quite catch the, 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 the words she was saying, but she said something like, oh, Alaska are, you know, something like a missed opportunity or something like that because Alaska used to be uh, Russian imperial territory and until the Americans bought it from Russia in 1867. And so, uh, so in response to this, I said, well, you know, maybe Donald Trump will give it to you, right? <laughs> so I found, I found that people, people like that. They, they laughed. It was, they thought it was pretty funny. Uh, as far as the police... Um, one time on the bus, they checked my identification and, and everything like that, but I cooperated and, you know, didn't have a problem. Um, I even went to the police once because I found something on the street and turned it into them. Um, they didn't even ask for my name or have me write a report. They just took it, said, oh, said thank you. And we, I was off on my way. So it was, it was, it was all good. And, you know, I met some very good, uh, hospitable hospitable people and um and some i've known for years and also new ones while while there i found that many people were very that uh, many of the people there were very hospitable and and very very welcoming um in <laughs> it was a, a funny story i guess this says what uh, what a lot of people know about canada abroad uh i was in volgograd i was walking around the streets and and I came across this, this, uh, these groups of people and, you know, we started, started chatting. And then the one guy asked where, where I was from. And I said, I was from Canada. And then, then he says, uh, Canada. And he's like, get it, you know, really excited. And, and then he says in English, legalization, right? And so he was referencing, of course, 
the legalization of marijuana, which happened in October, uh, the October after I after I went there, and so it was, it was kind of funny that that was the first thing that came to his mind, or at least the first thing that came to his mouth. And you know, <laughs> legalization. Wow, look at that! Look at that! Uh, it's so exciting stuff. Um, and in Montana, I got a similar reaction. You know, I was crossing the border and somebody, not a customs border guard, but uh, somebody the constru- uh, somebody later on said, you know, it was weed legal yet, <laughs> right? So anyway, I guess, I guess maybe that's what Canada was known for in 2018. Um, but, you know, in, in the market, uh, street market, I bought something and somebody said, you know, say hi to Canada for me, essentially. So it was, it was I found the interactions with people were generally very, very good, generally. Um, on the streets, I never had a problem with aggression, though, you know, <laughs> I sometimes did walk some of the streets at night, uh, but never, never had a problem. Um, you know, there were some people asking for money, of course, or tickets on the metro system, especially on the grounds of monasteries, actually. I found that was very interesting. Um, I was always on guard, of course, um, always, always keeping an eye, didn't walk around with headphones and things like that, but, you know, in many places in Canada or other Western cities, one must still be careful and still be wise and then just be careful while walking around. And as far as friendship goes, you know, there, there's some of those cultural, cultural shocks or cultural differences, right? Where one is even about uh, friendship. So I just listened to a YouTube video or parts of one where someone was breaking down some of the differences in mentality between Americans and Russians. At one point he had that American and you know Canadian friends too, maybe maybe perhaps in um, in places like England and other Western countries too. I'm not, um, but I've never been to England, so I'm not sure. Um, but American and Canadian friends generally want to they, they like to help each other, but they also want to pay back somehow. For example, if you're my friend and you give me a ride to the airport in your car, I will want to buy you a coffee or pay for your gas. And in Russia, this isn't so much of a so much of a thing. This video was breaking it down where friends try to help each other and they help each other because they're friends. They don't really expect to pay back. And I noticed there that you know I had friends do things for me in in Russia, and I wanted to thank them as well by buying them lunch or something. And I was just told, no, don't. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And so I was like, oh, well, okay. So that's a bit of a bit of a cultural cultural difference right there. Uh, and also in the in the restaurants too, I would often uh, you know chat up the waiter, or the waitress a little bit, or something like you know saying like, oh, so it's a busy day today. You know, how are you doing? That kind of thing. And in in Western countries, that's at least in North America, that's fairly common to ask the waitress or the waiter, you know, is it a busy day today? How's it going? You know, that kind of thing. And then a little conversation starts. Um, in Russia, I found that people were like, whoa, kind of surprised when I would ask uh, them this. They're like, oh, well, I'm good. How are you doing? You know, that. So it's a little bit of a, a difference right there. So a little bit of a culture shock, perhaps, but nothing that you just kind of like, oh, okay, this is just a little different. Uh, so we're getting to the end here, uh, about train travel. So, um, so I traveled on the train in, in Russia, though between two cities, I did travel on a bus once, but <clears throat> did a lot of train travel. And, uh, some of these train trips were very long. For example, between Volgograd and Ufa, I was, I was, uh, on the train for a day. Um, so yeah, you do feel a little cooped up after a while. Um, and speaking of which, there are different types of uh, compartments you or types of tickets you could buy. Um, 
So I, I did this on, uh, there was one of the types of tickets I bought was to a, what they call a coupe, or coupe. These are quite nice. Um, there was one, bet uh, for example, between Moscow and St. Petersburg. It was a six-seater and fancy uh, chairs. There were even um, plugs for your headphones and everything. And then there was another type, whether coupe was quite the right word, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but uh, it was the one with four fold-out beds. One was... Uh, kind of a bunk up top and then one at the bottom as well um so the i found these coupe were quite nice they were closed off you could close them off a little bit and uh you could still open the window if it was too hot you know all kinds of things and then there were other types of tickets like whole car arrangements where you sit in this this one whole whole train car um where you could sit in a seat and one time this was this was really nice really comfortable and two other times not so much. You weren't. You would. You would sit in the chair, and you know whether you'd sleep very good. You know, depended. <laughs> depended how tired you were, I guess. And then of course there's the Platzkart. Uh, this wasn't the best. This is kind of a cattle car. You have a bunk, and you. I I usually bought, got the one up top, and you know I'd have to climb up into it, and it got fairly hot. Um, and the first few times I didn't didn't like it. You know, it's like you would lay there. And you're there for, you know, this train ride is like 12 hours or something like that. And you're, you're laying down there and you kind of, you want to move, but you also don't want to move, you know? So it's, uh, so that was kind of an interesting thing. Just, I just wasn't used to traveling like that. Um, by the end of my time in Russia, I did get used to it. And, you know, and if you, well, and also maybe another thing is too, like I always, I always got the, uh, the bunk. Uh, at the top, uh, very close to the bathroom. <laughs> so, you know, and sometimes you would only, you'd get the air conditioning if somebody opened the door to the bathroom, right? Not to the toilet itself, but to that little compartment where it was. So it was, yeah, it was kind of interesting. You didn't quite get the air conditioning in, in the Platzkart. Um, but, you know, I mean, in the end, if you keep things with you, um, uh, you know, you put on headphones for podcasts or music, I mean, you're pretty good to go. And, um, and if you have the chance to walk around a little bit in the, in the coupe, it was a little easier to get up and walk around in the Platz cart. Not so much because if you walk down the aisle or the, the, the aisle of the car, you know, you, you know, you're, you know, there's a lot of people sleeping next to you. So there's no, you can't really move around a whole lot. Um, and you're able to bring food on, uh, onto the train with you, which was really good. Uh, I didn't eat much of the train's train's food. I know that some trains also had cafes on the train that you could have. I didn't didn't try this, but you know I bought uh, coffee on there. Um, and uh, but uh, the fact that you could bring food with you, it's like I found that you could just go to the grocery store, get some food, bring it on to the train with you, and and you're good to go. You you save some money that way. And speaking of food, uh, as I said earlier, I do plan to do a whole episode on this later. Uh, there was lots of good food, uh, both Russian and um, and international slash, or chain. Um, I went to Carl's Jr., I went to KFC, I went to McDonald's. Um, KFC's chicken was a little spicier, a little drier than it is here uh, in, in Canada. Um, and I found that restaurant service was, was good. Um, but again, you know, there was the difference. Like, once you got past the difference of the of, you know, chatting with the waiter or the waitress is not common over there. Once once you got over that, you know, it was perfectly fine. Um, 
Let's see, the currency at the time of my travels in 2016 and 2018, the ruble, the Russian ruble, was about a 50th of the Canadian dollar. So many things were fairly cheap, especially public transit. Um, a bus ride, for example, was 30 cents, while in uh, in other places, like in Canada, it might be like 3.50. Mind you, there's transfer tickets and so on, but 30 cents versus 3.50? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, although I don't think a lot of the bus rides in, in Russia were, were transferable, but still, 30 cents, if you didn't need to transfer, it's perfect. It's really, really good. Um, Russia is a fairly fairly good country to visit as a tourist, as far as currency goes. Um, some costs were equivalent, and of course it depended on which restaurant you went to, uh, and some hotels were as expensive as Western equivalents. I mostly went to locally owned businesses, uh, or... Um, hotels. Uh, average, those were about 50 to 60 Canadian dollars a night. Uh, but twice I went to international chains. In Volgograd, I went to the Park Inn by Radisson. This was about $70 a night. And in uh, Saransk, it was a last minute uh, change I had to make. Uh, I went to Four Points by Sheraton. And this was $200 a night. But thankfully, I was only there for one night. But it was, it was a really good hotel, though. So in conclusion, with all this, like if uh, if you're interested in Russian history, if you're interested in seeing the culture and everything, I would definitely recommend a chance to visit um, if you get the chance. Russia's visa regime is is, is pretty strict, uh, so there were really good opportunities to go there in 2018. Um, there's a lot to see in Russia, uh, and even if you go outside of Moscow and uh, St. Petersburg, like the main touristy centers, um, there are other other places you can go. Um, Kazan is a big city, and it's a little bit out of the way. Um, and Ufa was a bigger city as well. But you know, there's there's lots of museums, and, and even if you just like going um, uh, going on a trip somewhere and seeing the countryside, you know, this is a good way to do it. Of course, there is the reality of political tensions and political tensions and political differences between Western countries and and Russia. Uh, those are realities, of course. There, there's no way around that. And since 2014, things have definitely been uh, relations between the West and Russia. As I said, have been been quite quite bad. And but you know, in in that case, I didn't let that um, stop me. Of course, I thought about it. I thought about it, of course. And it's like you know, this these are some things that these are some realities here. Um, in tensions between the countries and so on, but um, again, I didn't let that stop me from from checking it out. And I found that um, I really enjoyed both of my my times uh, times there. And um, and you know, Russians are people too. Any any people are are people. Um, and uh, we we all have um, many many times very common goals. Uh, we want to be able to live our lives and be able to do uh, what we need to do in life, and this is the same same anywhere. So I guess that's I guess that's one of the I didn't mean to moralize or any, anything like that at all, um, but uh, because this is a history podcast after all. But uh, certainly from my trip, that was those were some of my uh, my big takes from that. So thank you very much again for listening to this latest episode. And um, I hope you join me next time because as we're, uh, I'm still working on the Russian City Histories Project. And also I have some other ideas for podcasts as always that I want to produce as well. And uh, yes, so thanks a lot for listening. And до свидания, спасибо большое за внимание. Thanks a lot for your attention. And we will see you next time. 
uh, Suchaslava. Have a good one.